Smile, I'm on candid camera. All right. We had a uh, kind of transitioning time last Sunday, and I talked to you a little bit about what, uh, what I was wanting to do and how the importance is that Yahweh really wants us to learn some things, and, and uh, there's some things that I'm not sure we, we know. And, you know, but if, if we can't at least try not to live in willful sin, we, we're just not going to get any further. I'm not talking about running this race and falling down and being overtaken by fault or, or, enter, or, or falling into temptation. I'm talking about willful choosing a lifestyle of sinful living. And so, you know, I judge my life basically one of the, one of the ways by the, the phrase, eat, drink, and be merry. I want to make sure that all my life isn't just, my goal isn't to eat, drink, and be merry. You know, I, uh, there is a... Uh, plan that God has for us. And so what I'm doing, last week I did it a little bit. And I, I appreciate you listening than just hearing. You know, it's easy to hear. I'm, I can do a lot of things at one time, multitasking, I don't know what you would call it, but I mean, I can, I can be in deep study and, and watch a football game or something, you know, something, a movie. And my wife said, what'd she say? Or, well, not that because I don't hear real good, but, but uh, I'll say, uh, She'll say, what, who is that? And I will know it because I just have that ability. But that's not the same as listening. As far as last week goes, what I'm doing is I'm sowing a seed and I'm, I'm pulling up roots and I'm tearing down and I'm also trying to build and plant. Because we come to levels in our lives and we get to that level, we do like the Baptists did. They got a revelation on baptism. Guess what they did? They started a domination. So they built memorials all around that. So now what do you do? All you do is, is, is they want to talk about forgiveness and border baptism, and then that's it. Every Sunday you get the same message. And it's because a lie was told from the, the first lie ever, and that is this. The first lie in the history of the world and mankind was this. You shall not surely die. And so out of that is a deep, deep-rooted belief things. Now i got to tell you, I was born in Georgia. And at one time, there was a guy named Leroy Stevenson who had a church on 27th Avenue across from Pine Oaks. If you've ever seen it, it's a blue church right over there. He, he sold the church in, to another church, and, and I, I haven't heard from him. But we gave him a Hammond organ years ago. And so we took our whole music band and all that we had back then, and we took it to that church. And Veronica was just a little bitty girl, and so she said, Dad, where are we going? So I told her this. I said, we're going to sing and minister in a black church today, tonight. It was a Sunday night. And so we drove up in the parking lot, and she looked at me as innocent and as serious. She said, Dad, this isn't a black church. This is a blue church. <laughs> but where we were raised and how we were raised put these deep things in us, guys. And it's hard, not, I'm not just talking about racism, but I think that's a good way because there's people that still have a core thing in them. Maybe it's uh, something like Southerners and Yankees. We still don't want the snowbirds to come, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we have all these deep-rooted things in us, and it, it gives us this belief system that is always filtered through those prejudices. Last week, if you only heard that message once, you probably will only get out of it what you wanted instead of getting out of you what it wanted. Because we're, I'm, I'm pecking away at some things that are strongholds in us. And we can hear but not listen because what we're doing, we're trying, we, we use things that we want out of it. It's like, don't you hate it when, you know, you get a, a can of mixed nuts, and before it's open, somehow one of your children eat all the cashews out. You ever had that happen to you? You'll only get what you want. I'm okay. Oh, 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 o
And you eat it and all the, you know, somebody else comes to eat this, all the good stuff is gone. So we use it, and usually we're picking it out of that thing that I'm talking about, which is our life, our goals, our things that we desire and we are trying to, to accomplish and get. Uh, that can help me. But really, the word is power, more powerful than that. It goes down to the thoughts and the intents of your heart. And it divides asunder soul and spirit. And so the word, you know, we can't just nitpick what we want off the word. we got to let the word come and nitpick out of our core to change us. Yahweh's loving purpose is to bring man back from the serpent condition to the rod condition. Remember I was talking about that? The serpent and the rod. Moses. Yahweh's loving purpose isn't for you to go to heaven or hell. His loving purpose is for mankind to be restored back to the place that God had desired and had for him before the foundation of this world. We used to, I preached it this way years ago, back to Eden. To make him upright again to the true and complete way that God made him. Listen to that. And you and I were made in the image of Yahweh. So what is he doing? He wants to make us upright and bring us back to the, the place that his was his purpose and his plan before the foundation of the world and that, that we would be back to the, our previous way of creating. That's why we have, we're a new creation. To do what? To grow and to become what the image of God is. Because that's how we were created. And that's what God, how he wanted us. He wanted us to exercise on the earth holy, faithful dominion over an earth filled with God's glory. Isn't that simple? God said, Adam, I'm gonna, you're going to be the part. We're going to replenish the earth. We're going to have people that are in my image. They're going to have dominion over the earth. And I want you to go in there, and I want you to, to have a holy people. Fill it with my glory, my character, my family. That's what I want you to do. Adam messed up. So God wanted to fix it. Did he fix it just so we could just go to heaven? Did he just say, forget it? Forget that. We'll just let y'all go to heaven and sit by the river and fish or whatever it is you like to do. It's interesting to me. It's frustrating to me. Yet I haven't, I understand it, but yet I still get frustrated. Why people can't see the simplicity of the true gospel. Debbie and I were at lunch and we were discussing this, you know, I mean. I just talked the whole time, blah, 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 blah. You probably can't, don't believe that. But, you know, the whole time there, she's just, mm -hmm, yeah, okay, mm, all right. But, no, she listens. She helps me. For example, there is absolutely no mention of eternal torture in flames anywhere in the Tanakh or the Torah, the prophets, the, the old and minor prophets, the poetic chapters in the Old Testament. Nowhere does it say that, that you're going to go to this place that's burning with fire and burn forever. And the fact is, if someone's got to burn forever, somewhere, somehow, they're going to have to receive some type of immortality and eternal life in order to be alive forever so they can burn. Is this difficult? So, but we know, you know, we, man would have to be born with an immortal spirit, a mortal soul body, et cetera, et cetera. But we know that's not the case. But everybody I know pretty much believes they were born with some divine spark by God that caused them to not surely die like, like uh, Satan said, but be a lot more alive dead than they were when they were alive. <laughs> so... We know that that can't be the case that we can't have been given or born and created with immortality because eternal life is a gift from God. So if it's a gift from God, why does he need to give us a gift of eternal life if we already got it? Is this difficult? Do you know that people, this is difficult for people because of that bias thing in them, that thing that I was talking about that's down in the core. And we, we, when we nitpick things for our, just ourselves, it, it ain't allowed to go down in there and uproot stuff because it, you would have to... You, it's frustrating. You can tell I'm almost speechless. God would not need to reward people with eternal life 
if they already have it, if, it were, if they were already born with eternal life. And I always say this, it's okay to use your brain. I know that I know that I know that I know. I know too that you don't know. Because when you've got to say, I know that I know that I know, that means you don't know. When Adam was hiding from Yahweh, he told Yahweh this, I was afraid. Now listen to me. Here's another thing I'm kind of talking about, this bias stuff in this, this core thing. He was afraid. And that premise also has been used by religion to, they've used that fear that Adam had to save, or I'm going to call it control people. We talked about shame last week a little bit. And all I did was just sow the seed about that. I didn't get into a lot of depth about it. Guilt and shame. And, and now I'm talking today, I'm talking to you about that fear that Adam had in the garden. He said, I, I was afraid. Why are you hiding? I was afraid. Why would you ever be afraid of God? I'm not going to get into that, but I want you to know that it's out of that fear that people have tried to get other people saved. And I want to tell you this. It is impossible for you to be saved by fear or telling somebody they're going to burn in hell forever and ever. You can't be saved but through faith and obedience to the gospel. It's another one of those things that, that remain deep in the belief system that controls our perspective, and it's always with bias. It misdirects our faith. And these kind of things cause us to fall short of the, living the abundant life that Yahweh desires for us. Hearing they hear not, seeing they see not. That's why Yahshua said it. And so I'm talking to my wife, I'm saying that, you know, that's just a true thing. They hear it, but it's like... There's nobody home. Oh, yeah, I hear it. And you can have a knowing of it and not really have an understanding of the wisdom for it to become life to you. I told you last week that our awareness of the, these true things is trapped because we're always looking for the things that are inside in our core Beliefs like some future time when we would go to heaven or, or the burning of hell or that there's a Satan or we're, not, you know, we're saved by grace and no works, no works. Instead of knowing this, that the premise and the purpose of God is to be made upright again and to rule on the earth. Not one time ever in the scriptures did Yahshua ever say, you're going to go to heaven. Not one time. But yet it just, it just permeates our belief. And what I think happens is people, it transfers. Then when we find out, well, that probably that ain't true, then now we don't really believe the truth now, really, enough for it to affect us. Like Joshua was telling me last night, he's talking about these people he was talking to, and it's like, you know, they don't really believe in a burning hell, or they wouldn't live the way they lived. We say we believe it, but yet we don't believe it in the sense that it brings forth works, which is called faith. And I, so I talked about the rod of God and Moses. And when I was younger, I thought, man, he's a miracle God. Look what he did. You know, get a rod, throw it down, impress everybody. But, but it's really a deep symbol. And what it does, it embodies the whole purpose of God with humans. And God made Adam in his own image. He gave him dominion over all the earth. And this rod denotes two aspects, manifestation and then rulership. Ecclesiastes 7.29, Solomon said, God made man upright, but man forsook his upright state. So in other words, the rod of God, manifestation of the likeness and the image of God, and rulership in the earth is no longer something that we believe. Sin took over. Natural man became the seed of the serpent, and now we're no longer the rod of God. We're the serpent, which is a, a metaphoric similitude of the sin nature. But our loving Father, our loving God's purpose is to bring man back from the serpent condition to the rod condition, just like he did the, the, the rod of God that he was thrown down. It became a serpent, but they took it back up, and it became a rod. 
to make man upright and to make us true and com- the, the true and complete image of God. That's your destiny. That's your destiny. Do you hear me? If you don't have that and know that in your deepest of your heart and, and renew your mind with it, then guess what? Then you're never going to access it. You'll never access it. You'll play around with it. Back to the position we were born to be in. When? Before the world began. Everything I'm telling you is a position and a place that took place that God decided before the world even was created. This is what God said I'm going to do. This is what it's going to do. Not that, okay, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, they're going to all come up here and live with us and be happily ever after, and I'm going to give them gold streets and mansion. We'd have holy and faithful dominion over the earth where it started. It started here. It's going to all end here. The story is really simple when we read the whole Bible in context. But it's like learning to play the piano, y'all. Studying the Bible takes years. I can redeem your time, and I'm trying to. It was shown in Yahshua, who was the typical, the type in the shadow, the, the pattern son. He was born under the serpent-cursed constitution, body, flesh. The same that Adam had fallen in and all, had cursed all mankind. But he cleansed himself and transformed himself from the fallen sin nature, listen how, by obedience and achieving honor and dominion as God's chosen rod. So I've got some, this word, I labored over this word like probably none I ever have before. I have hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of study and documents on my laptop. If I'm going to preach on hell this morning, I could just go over, get my documents, because I've already got the material that I've studied over the years, and, and I can just, boop, open it up, preach from it. Oh, what are you going to talk about? Uh, Trinity? Boop. Matter of fact, when people come here and they want to be saved and be baptized and all that, I have about six le- or seven lessons that I give them boop, that we put together so they can understand the true gospel before they can baptize and have their sins forgiven. So, Right now, I labored over this because there's so many things that's pending for us. There's so many planes on this tarmac waiting to, for takeoff. So I've talked about three or four things this morning, but I promise you, if you'll open your heart, there's going to be a seed sown. And if you'll meditate on it, day and night, the Bible says. So my question is, Do you think the creator of heaven and earth did a terrible, shoddy job on the world we live in? Do you think when God created the heavens and the earth, he just just messed it up? Wasn't his best work? It was okay, you know, okay. What do you think about that? Or was it God's first-rate stuff with lasting value? My My answer is this. He said it was good. And if God, if it's good to God, I'm, I believe it's good. If God tells me, hey, God, should I buy one of these cars? He, and he says, yeah, they're good. I'd buy the car. Most Christians dismiss the creator and his workmanship and subconsciously think it's just a temporary job site and, and that it's a sinking ship that we got to escape to get to God's true location in an immaterial heaven. That's a mindset that is in most people. When's the end of the earth? Even Bible, people, Bible scholars that teach prophecy, this is what they say. Uh, the, they call it the end of the earth, end of the world. There's never going to be end of the world, y'all. Never. What about nuclear? What about the trees? Well, there's never going to be the end of the world. The Bible says it. But we have that in us. Armageddon, that's going to be the end of the world. No, it's going to be the beginning of a new world, which is our world redeemed. 
I think that we have this mindset, put it deep in core in us, that the material world is not less any important to him than the spiritual world. Yahweh loves, and the material world is no less important than the spiritual realm. And this is what I hear people say all the time. That's the true realm. Well, where is it? I said, where is it? I knew these people. I knew them personally. They were big-time world evangelists. They were an older couple. They were called the Happy Unawaters. Happy Hunters. How many of you remember it? Now, happy Hunters, man. They, they traveled the world and preached the gospel. They didn't even leave their bedroom. Because they would sleep, and in their sleep, their spirits would leave their bodies, and they would fly all over the world. I had friends that told me, yeah, this is my city. We have dominion over this city. I said, really? Well, here, can you get this parking ticket taken care of? But we're so spiritually realm-minded that we think all this is just, it's just a temporary world. It's not. And this is what Yahweh says. Hey, look, it is Good. I do, the term Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 2-1 says, the heavens and the earth. What have we done? I have, and maybe you haven't, but what I did all my life, I separated it. The heavens and the earth. Here it is. Heavens, heavens where all the spirit realm is and all that, and, and I believe in the spirit realm, don't get me wrong. But there is, and then here's the earth. That terminology is a, is a really a Hebrew figure of speech that all it really means is the universe. Listen, when God first related himself to me, I didn't realize it, but he revealed himself to me as a creator. How do I know that? Read Genesis. But I didn't look at it like that. I'm reading this story about a world that was made and it was all messed up and we got to get out of here as fast as we can. How many of you believe that? How many of you believe that was told to you? Humanity doesn't depart the earth to join God in heaven. Instead, Yahweh perfects his kingdom on earth and calls it into being, excuse me, calls into being the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down of heaven from God, God dwelling with humanity is not in heaven. It is on earth in his renewed creation. Listen to what Revelation 21 said. He said, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, listen, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. This is why... The simplicity of the prayer that Yahshua taught his disciples and us to pray. He said, look, this is how you pray. Thy. Thy. Not. Why didn't he pray? Why didn't he teach me to pray? Now I'll lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake. I pray the Lord. My soul to take. That's how they indoctrinated me. You know how many times I've prayed that in my lifetime? Today's word. This is what I believe. People, ignorance of the purpose creates contempt for the message. I always said to us a couple of weeks ago that people are... Uh, you know, you know when you don't do what the court says, they say you're charged with contempt of court. We have contempt of gathering, contempt of ecclesia, because we don't understand the purpose. And we have a contempt for coming to church because we don't understand the purpose of why we're supposed to be here. We don't think it's really necessary, just like people don't think tithing is necessary or, or forgiving people. The very first thing, like I said, we learn about is that Yahweh's a creator. Let me, y'all listen to me now. You may get the outside message of this, but there's something deeper for you. 
But the outside's good too. Yahweh is a worker. He works. He creates. He's a worker, the Bible says, of marvelous works. He's done marvelous things. And I and you and every human was made in his image. And we were, listen, created in the image of God, created unto good works. Come to churches, this is a work. It's called the work of the ministry. And don't think I'm going somewhere because I throw this stuff in here, okay? I want you to ruminate on this and let this resonate in you as a whole. Ephesians 4.12 says, Cause it unto the work of the ministry, unto the building up of the body of Christ. One of the works that we are creating the image of God to do is to build up the body of Christ. That's a work by gifted people who have the, but we all have the same one ministry, and that's to build up body of Christ, to bring us into to perfection and maturity, to the full measure of the stature of Christ, who is the full measure of the stature of the image of God. The one body is built up by everybody that comes and works in the garden of God. This word also, work, involves things like your job, your employment. And when we work in light and in view of God's image, and the, knowing that that is our purpose, our purpose is to be from serpent to upright and become the, back to the image of God that was his purpose before he even created the worlds. Before the foundation of the world, the purpose for you is that. And when you understand that, in everything that you do, even on your job, it's been my experience and scripturally, scriptural uh, to understand that when to work in God's image, when that is the underlying understanding and purpose of and the goal that you have then to work in God's image is to receive God's provision I'm creating Yahweh's image my life is committed to the purpose of God I'm going to do his purpose everything I do is about me standing upright coming back to the image of how I was created before the world was, uh, was created And because of that, Yahweh provides for all our needs. Hallelujah. Danny, that right there, baby. He'll wipe the sweat off your brow. When your life is about, first and foremost, I'm going to get upright. I walked past Chester a while ago. He said, upright. This is one of the ways in which those made in God's image know that we're not God. What are you talking about? Letting God be our provider helps us realize that we're not God. Didn't I preach on that? That we think we're God? Like Cain thought he was God? I thought I preached on that about a hundred times. Let me tell you something about why I know you're not God and I'm not God. Because God ain't got no needs. And if he does, he has the power to meet them all on his own. <laughs> we don't. He's God, I'm not God. But he will provide all my needs according to his riches and glory in who? Christ. What's that mean? Because Yahshua has ascended to that place of uprightness and he's at the right hand of the Father. And because of that, I join in and I'm partaker of the one who has already achieved that. Hang on now. Hang on. Don't, don't jump ahead and think you know what I'm talking about. This, this is what the Bible says in Genesis 1. This is what God said. See, listen, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. 
And to every beast of the field, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have also given every green plant for food. And it was so. On one hand, acknowledging God's provision helps us to not fall into pride and self-sufficiency. When you are dependent upon God to do it, not forcefully, most of the time we, we look to God for provision because we're in a position where we just, we're, we, we got to have a miracle maybe. Without God, listen, any work we do is nothing. It's useless because if it doesn't contribute to the purpose of God given to us before the foundation of the world, making us, bringing us back to the image of God, then it's a waste. It will perish. We'll stand before God and His, and we're there to judge to see uh, how our life has been according to His viewpoint, and we're going to find out that our success is nothing. It has no value. They don't take that money at the judgment seat. You know how much money I'd die with? You know how many houses I got? How many cars I got? You know how many, blah, 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 blah. Well, that don't work here. We don't take that. It's like, they don't, I don't take American Express. I've been told that a lot. We cannot bring ourselves to true life. And we cannot even provide for our own maintenance. You don't blame me, get sick. Whether we want to admit it or not, or look at it, or, or everybody has to understand that God's continued provision of air, water, earth, sunshine, the growth of crops and things for food for our bodies and minds. Let me tell you what, that's God's provision. And we may not believe it because we're in a place where we have such an abundance, we haven't had to really, by faith, trust him for the next meal. But on the other hand, when I have learned to acknowledge God's provision, guess what it does for me? It gives me confidence. It gives me confidence. I'm not saying I'm like, like, I'm like oh, man, hey, where you at here? But it gives me confidence. And I don't have to depend on my own ability or some special set of circumstances or some love offering or church drive or anything like that to meet the need. That's why I've never had those kind of things. I've asked you to help, if you could help. Because ultimately, for me, I have confidence because of what this is about and what I'm trying to live my life for, and that is the purpose of God, so I will stand upright again in the image of God the way he wanted me before the foundation of the world. So it gives me confidence. I don't have to depend on my own ability. And God's power makes our work fruitful. So what we do, God will bless. He equips us with provision for our needs, not only spiritually, but physically. But if our goal isn't his will if our goal isn't to be standing upright but guess what we want to do we choose to stay serpent then you don't have that luxury and it shows with fear worry tribulation those kind of things let me tell you what God does I'm kind of using the book of Genesis and, and using it today Yahweh prepares the earth to be productive when we apply our work to it. What is my work? My work is to do the will of him that sent me, is what Yahshua said. My work is the work of the ministry. When I do, when my goal is to be upright again, back to the image of God, that was God's purpose for me before the foundation of the world, guess what God does? He prepares the soil. He prepares the way for it to be productive. And all I got to do is apply my work to it. The Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put a man whom he had formed. So what are we doing? We're going to till the garden. But listen, Yahweh is the original planner. I would love to somebody give me a, a garden already planted. We are to care for it. 
He created the earth with resources to support anything that we need to be fruitful and multiply. And most of those things are nothing but a faith, a little faith away. And I'm not talking about, I believe, 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 I believe. I'm talking about obedience to the purpose of God, to those that are called according to his purpose. All things work out to them to love the Lord and to them who are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? That you, my friend, come from here to here to the image of God. And that's been his purpose before the foundation of the world. He creates he prepares the ground. He orders your footsteps. This is something I think Yahweh wants us to know to get it to change the, I hate to say paradigm shift, but that's what it is really if you want to look at it that way. Genesis chapter 2 verse 3 and chapter 2 verse 17. God uses our limits to bless us. He sets limits for us. It's a, it, was hard, it was hard for me, for my ego. It was hard for me, for my ego, to learn this lesson. I used to be, I don't know if I am anymore, people say, he's cocky. He's arrogant. He's blah, 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 blah. And that's probably why I probably was. I was young. But when I learned that God had put limits in my work, I'm, I'm creating God's image, and I was, had to learn to obey the limits in my work or my journey or my walk or however you want to say it this morning. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, listen to what, what Yahweh said. God, or Moses said it. God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Man, it must have been, must have been tough. God had to rest, Joey. Was he exhausted? Was he tired? Or did he rest on that seventh day to teach us Image bearers, image reflectors, a model of how this thing works. Notice I say works. I want my life to work. Don't you want it to work? I want it to work. I don't want to be out of order. I want it to work. And that's what we're talking about. But also rest. Fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments tells us that God's rest is meant as an example for us to follow. Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to, your, to Yahweh your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slaves, your livestock, the alien resident in your town. For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them. But he rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and consecrated it. I want to tell you what. All through the centuries of time, I've studied it. I've looked. What does the Sabbath, what does it really mean? Religious people tended to pile up all these regulations defining what constituted keeping the Sabbath. I actually saw a, a, a documentary about these Jewish people who kept the Sabbath. And they invented stuff that did all the work for them, you know. They had the, they had the oven set on a timer. They had a toaster that came up at a certain time. They, everything, they did the same thing, but, but they just didn't do the manual work themselves. Yahshua said clear, clearly this, that God made the Sabbath for us. That God made the Sabbath for our benefit. When I say Sabbath, most people think Sunday. Years ago in there was a guy in our church, man, he wanted, he wanted Sunday. He said, can we start Sunday church at 730 so we can have the, the rest of the day to do stuff? But he didn't say that. He said, can we uh, have, the, have church at, at 730 on the Sabbath instead of 1030? I said, uh, yeah, I'm good with that. He said, really? I said, oh, yeah. I said, but you know, the Sabbath is Saturday. See you here at 1030 on Sunday. 
But see, we have this imagination and we've been told that the Sabbath isn't necessarily Saturday. Shut up and leave me alone. I got some messianic friends who they're going to bite their tongue off like when I start talking about this kind of stuff. From sundown to sunset, you know, the, the, this is what Sabbath is. It's for our benefit. Nowadays, the mantra is what? No works, no works, no works, no works, no works, no works, no works. Not by works, no works, no works. We don't have to do work. How, how many of you know that's, that's the whole mantra of today? So we go from, from uh, working and having a, a Sabbath in our life, and, the, and that work mainly includes the bottom line and the driving force is the purpose of God, which is what? Coming from a serpent to a rod, back to the image of God that was God's plan before the foundation of the world. Anything that doesn't have that as the core mo motivation is not going to give you life. So, and then there's people now who they believe the Sabbath is a vacation. They don't come to church on Sunday because they're on vacation. And look, I think everybody needs to go on vacation. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about taking a day off or something like that. Please understand that. When people think that it's a vacation, I'm going on Sabbath, I'm going on vacation. I know that's wrong. I said, I know that's a lie. It's from the lie from the pit because vacation can be one of the most stressful things we can do. Can you get an amen from me? Oh, what are we doing? Getting ready for vacation. I guarantee you, my wife and I are going to fight in the car on the way to vacation. We're stressed out. We used to always put Roy D. Mercer in, didn't we, honey? They went, get in the car, don't say a word. Put Roy D. Mercer in there and start laughing. I'm mean, just got to pack this and got this and get this. Is this ready? Got that ready? And get all stuff. We go on vacation one time with our whole family. And, we, and Vero got us a house. It was Anna Maria. And Vero got a house across the street on the, the intercoastal side where our uh, canal was. Well, the ocean that they wanted to go to was across the street. So guess what Johnny has to do? Load a wagon this tall and pull it across the street through the sand. I'm wore out. Then, listen, then I got to set up that tent thing. You know what I'm saying? Got little button things. Got it. Ah, we don't like it here. Where do you want Bring it down here a little bit. Bring it back down here. I think, I'm like, hey, hey, I'm, I need to go home. I'd rather be home. Let me go work. So I know that's bull. That, that vacation stuff is baloney. So what do we learn from this, man? We, when, when, like God, we stop our work on whatever our seventh day is, to me, I believe, you know, I'm answering to God for this, but I believe it's a mindset more than it is a 24-hour period. It's a principle. And we are acknowledging that our life is not going to be defined only by our work and productivity and making money. We declare, no, I tell you what, we're going to shut the door and we're going to believe God to meet all our needs. And if he limits me at that, I'll live with what he's limiting me with and he'll bless that in all the other areas of my life, like having a sanity, not worrying, not having fear, He'll work that out on less money. And i got to tell you this. Some people need to quit working so much, and they, they get, may have more creativity developed. They may get a more idea and a good direction instead of just doing all that. Y'all hear me. That's good preaching. I don't care who says it. A true Sabbath or a limiting provides a visible testimony that Yahweh is the center of my life and that my production, whatever it may be, and conception, even when it comes to church stuff, it takes place in a world ordered, blessed, and restrained by the God of all creation. When you have that mindset, your life's going to change. I don't think we have it. I think mean, we're going to heaven. Well, you don't really believe that. 
So we're going to inherit the earth. We don't really believe that. Otherwise, what we're doing, we not otherwise, but in a sense, we renounce our self-ownership. That's what that limitation means. That's what that Sabbath means. It means I do not own myself. I've been bought with a price. I'm embracing my dependence on Yahweh, my creator. And when I need him, I'm already dependent on him. I don't have to scramble around and say, oh, I need you. Well, you need me. You, you wouldn't do pretty bad for yourself. I thought you didn't need me. Maybe he don't say it that way, but it kind of works out that way. And I think to live otherwise is to live a life of illusion that somehow our world and circumstances in life is completely under human control. And I think that's a killer. We believe it's under human control. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to do this. I don't need that. I'm going to do that. I got to do this. Do you know why I read, I read something the other day about people who uh, do business on the phone, cell phone, those that have offices and those that work at home? They work an average of 13.6 hours a day on that because they have that phone. Now, y'all know I'm talking about the work of the ministry, don't you? And having good works and the purpose of God. But if, if the, our faith don't roll over into what we, what we believe, don't roll over into our everyday life, then, it, then you don't, we don't have nothing. So I was telling me something the other day about a guy that goes to church. He's trying to get people to go to his church. His, his brother preaches there and trying to get people to go there. But he said... The way that guy lives in public, probably nobody would want to go to the church anyhow. Part of making a Sabbath, and I'm not saying the Sabbath, a regular part of our life, our work, our goals, the work of them, everything, it is acknowledging that God is ultimately on the throne of our lives and at the center of our lives. So God equips people, and he also gives us limits. Blessing us by those limits. What you, let me give you an example of this. Here God, he equips Adam, with Eve, Adam and Eve with some specific instructions. You're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. But he limits it. Even what they think is the blessing or their access to the blessing, he limits it. Because God plants two trees, the tree of life and the tree of what? The knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil is a tree that is what? Off limits. Look, you can have all of this, but here's your limitation. You can't have that. You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil... You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat, guess what? You shall surely die. Why would Yahweh put a tree in the Garden of Eden that he didn't want them to use or eat from? Why didn't he just not put it there? That's the way I think. But this is how God thinks. And there's a deeper explanation, but for today, I think it's enough to say that not everything that can be done should be done. Not everything that can be done should be done. Not everything that can be done should be done. Our imagination and skill that God has given us with the resources of, in our creative being, I think can be as harmful to Yahweh's intents and purpose as command as helpful. I've always said it like this. Don't be sure to not take the blessing of God and finance your own rebellion. No, there's limitations. I can do whatever I want to do. No, there's limitations. If we want to work with God in his purpose, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, all things working together for the, our good, 
who are called according to the purpose, which is go from the serpent to the upright, to the image of God, and that the purpose of his was, was from the, before the uh, foundation of the world. We want to work rather, with him rather than against him. I tell you, I would suggest that you start choosing to observe the limits God sets rather than trying to do everything possible in creation. Oh, I got to do this. What are we going to do? I got to try that. You try this yet? Oh, I go there. Where are you going? I try. I mean, we're just so busy. Try, we'll try this. Okay, we'll try this way. We, try. we go, oh, that ain't working. Let's do this. And the fact is, God didn't give Adam a choice between good and evil. He didn't say, okay, pick one or the other. He said, don't do it. That ain't a choice. Are y'all with me today? Don't let me lose you. Please get this. What he gave them was a choice whether or not to acquire the knowledge of evil or not. They already knew good, of course. In making that tree, Yahweh opened up the possibility of evil for them. But in doing so, what God really did is he validated choice. And that's what he does with all humans. Because he loves. And love, all love is bound up in choice. Because without choice, the word love is meaningless. I choose to love you. I choose to be married to you. And there's limitations. There's things I can't do in my choosing her or her choosing me, however it was. Thank you, Shaw. Could Adam and Eve love and trust God? Listen, listen to this. Could Adam and Eve love and trust God sufficiently to obey his command about the tree? Can you love God and obey his commandment sufficiently enough to deny yourself, to limit yourself? My God, we can't, do we have to have everything? Yahweh expects those in relationship with him will be capable of respecting the limits that bring about good in his creation. He limits his limits, those limited things, if you'll listen, try to hear it. Continue to bless us when we observe them. When I deny myself or when I limit myself and, and to obey God, then he blesses me and it continues my blessing. I want God to bless me. But the reason I do is because I believe he is and that he exists and he's the creator of all things. All good works respects got these limits. All right, I'm almost done, believe it or not. Genesis 1.1. Genesis 2, 3. Yahweh created humanity in his image. I want you to be like me. I made you upright. I want you to rule the earth. Like Yahshua, his purpose is for us to take up the life given to us before the foundation of the world. Can y'all hear what I just said? I said... Like Yahshua, our purpose is to take up the life given to us before the foundation of the world. From a rod to a serpent, we were a rod. Not us personally, we didn't exist back then, but humanity. We were blessed by the rod, being in the likeness of Yahweh. And yet we fell to a serpent. And now... We're going to take that life that was lost and regain it. Taking back what's ours, really. And equipping each other to live according to that image. That's what ecclesia is. How can you do that if you're not here? Because you don't, because it... Not understanding the purpose brings contempt to the message. 
I was reading Facebook the other day, and I have a friend I've known him for years, loved the guy. He's never been nothing but sweet and super generous and kind to me. And so I was looking on my Facebook memories of something I'd written about, you know, the name Yahshua. And I I just had my back surgery, and I mentioned that, and, you know, Yahshua and all that. And he said, I declare you be healed in the wonderful name of Jesus. And I'm like, he's oblivious. He can read all of that and not see it. He can hear it. I can tell people, like I said today, about, you know, how, okay, how can you live forever burning in hell if the only way to get eternal life is if you get saved? And is that, is, is, isn't that easy? Let me tell you what Yahshua said. Nobody takes it from me. I laid it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to pick, take it up again. I, this I command I receive of my Father. I want to command you something. You have the authority to pick up your life again and be restored to the image of God and fulfill his purpose that he desired for us before the foundation of the world. When you do that, now you're in the groove with God. All right, now you're on the fast track here. Uh, you've been off the wrong track here. Your faith's been misdirected. You don't really believe all this. But look, oh, now everything, all your life's work, and including every other, is all about this and his purpose that's been around before the foundation of the world. Listen to what Yahshua said. Father, I will that they also, who? Us. Whom thou hast given me, who? Us. Be with me where I am. People think we're in heaven. No, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. What's he saying? Father, I want them to be upright like me. And let them see my glory now. And the glory being glorified is the fulfillment and the end result of becoming like in the likeness and image of God again. Hallelujah. From the beginning, Yahweh intended human beings to be like his junior partners in the work of bringing his creation to fulfillment. Not only am I doing that for me, but part of my work is for me to help you get there too. That's called ecclesia. And when you disrespect that and bring contempt to the very purpose of God, to me it shows me you don't know nothing. You still believe you're going to go to heaven when you die, basically. That's my frustration about people not being here. I get mad at myself. I'm like, well, man, what? I must not be making this clear enough. Ephesians 1, 3. Can I bore y'all with, with 11 scriptures? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Yahshua Christ. Listen. Who hath blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. I wonder what that's for. He's blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Listen. Even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, what are we talking about? The purpose of God. That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Yahshua according to the purpose of his will to the praise and the glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now we know we're understanding what Ephesians 1 is talking about. Do y'all see how it fits? Somebody wave at me and say, oh yeah, hallelujah, something. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ. Christ said, Yeshua said this, I'm going to show you how it's done. You're going to go from here. Because what he did, he laid his own life down to become a serpent. He was... He, he was Nailed to the stake. Y'all hear me? I mean, this, this is in John 3. It talks about this. And nobody even gets it. They don't even get that the only options when you die is either you perish or you get eternal life. Listen to this. As a plan for the fullness of time, listen to this, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, what, what, what? And earth. See, it's all one thing. It's all one thing. It ain't just, you know, that's another message. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. There's all that help stuff and provision I'm talking about. That, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard Johnny preach this word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, I put the Johnny part in there, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession to the praise of his glory. Oh, my God. I, got, I want to tell you something. I labored over this. I knew what I was going to preach on. I thought I had nothing written down Saturday morning when I got up. So I'm starting to meditate and think. I, got, I have my own little kind of routine where I kind of, you know, get, get the, prime, the pump primed. So, I'm, so I started a place. Because I really wanted to finish the, the message on shame. So then it went to this place, and then it went to this place. Then it went to this place, and all of a sudden, I mean, last night, I, I, I keep opening my laptop up. And stuff, and stuff, and stuff. And I want to tell you, this, this word right here out of Ephesians 1. <clears throat> I remember I was a I was youth pastor at a church, First Assembly of God, and, and I wanted to preach and teach and all that. So the pastor said, you can preach the old lady's Bible study. I'm still kind of doing that, Joel. And I started on Ephesians 1, and I started line upon line. And I learned so much, but it was always with what I could get out of it for me. How can I get this? How will this preach good? Or how will it do this? And how will it do this? It was never really about how. And, and, I, and listen, I was sincere. I was, ready, I was ready to die. I mean, a disciple. You know how it was, Irwin. We young guys, man, we, we gonna, we'll die right now. I mean, I had that zeal for God. It was, and it consumed me. But it was always this thing in me. And one of the problems is I didn't know really what it all meant. Because I still thought we was going to heaven. I thought those heavenly things and, you know, the heavenly things promised to us. But over many, 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 many years, Yahweh, I always say it this way. Yahweh don't kiss on the first date. Everybody thinks they're going to say a sinner's prayer and all of a sudden, no, he don't... He, he don't do that. It's a relationship of learning. And so I was all done, I thought. And then this, that scripture came to me. And then this scripture came to me, Romans 8, 19 through 23. And in the light of what I'm saying today, see if you can relate that. It says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. What's that? Serpent. That the creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This. We know that, listen to this, the whole creation is been groaning together as it suffers together in the pains of labor 
and not only the creation, but we ourselves. What's it saying? The fulfillment of all time is coming where God's creation, new creation, is going to manifest, be a manifested sons of God is how we used to teach it. And having the glorious liberty of that. Now listen to this. But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit also grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our body. Somebody told me, I'm a child of God, I've been adopted. No, you haven't. Your, your adoption is complete at the redemption of the body. And that's at the judgment seat of Christ. And, then, and then this came to me too. And I finally just had to say, I'm, I'm, I quit. Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared from you. Prepare for you. Guess when? From the foundation of the world. Yahweh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of it. I pray that it will not return void. I pray that we will not just pick off what we want off of it. But we will let it, it do what it wants to do in us. That you will transform us and conform us into the image that you, we were, by the purpose of God, created to be. And that is in the image of Yahweh. And I pray that you will hear Yeshua's prayer. That we, this house... We'll work together till you come. We'll work till Yeshua comes. And this principle and this catalyst and this core belief and motive is what will inspire and affect everything we do. And I thank you in advance for what you're going to continue to do in me and in this house. To the glory of God. Amen. Amen. God bless y'all.